Chapter 3 A Clean Kill Patience. You need to have more patience, Jake, George tried to explain to his son, who was fidgeting relentlessly in the hunting blind. What I need, Dad, is to get out of here and go to the bathroom, the annoyed 13-year-old replied. It was the fifth hour in the elaborate hunting blind, and Jake had had enough. He knew that if he continued to complain, eventually his dad would get disgusted and let him go home. He looked at his dad and pouted. George looked back at his son and tried not to be disappointed. He wasn't having much luck. He looked over at his daughter's perch, which was 20 feet away, and made a chirping noise to get her attention. She looked back over at him, and he gave her a hand signal to tell her that he was leaving. She shook her head emphatically and waved goodbye. George made another hand signal, telling her to come with him. Again, she shook her head and waved. George was not having a good day. It was times like these that he missed his wife. If she were still alive, she would be with him, and maybe his kids wouldn't be so stubborn. At 13, Jake was as recalcitrant as they came. He refused to participate in many of the games that George concocted as part of his plan to give his kids useful skills for the coming disaster. And when he did participate, he made it clear that he was just patronizing his dad. He didn't really give a shit. And then there was 10-year-old Izzy, who enjoyed the games too much. She refused to let them end until she was good and ready. Whatever patience Jake lacked, Izzy more than made up for. He knew that if he left with Jake, she would sit in that blind for another 10 or 12 hours if necessary, switching to her night vision scope when it grew too dark to see through her regular scope. She didn't need to sing or dance or go to the bathroom either. She would sit there, still as a stone, barely breathing, never letting her concentration waver for even a second until it was time to take a shot. She was, in all respects, the perfect little sniper, just as he had trained her to be from the age of seven. Rather than argue with either of them, he relented and decided to let them both have their way. He would take Jake home and let Izzy stay here. Their ATVs were parked only a mile and a half away, and if she ran into any trouble, she had a radio. He'd be home in just under an hour, and he could spend the rest of the day on the west side of the ranch, overseeing the construction of the border fence. He sighed and patted Jake on the shoulder, making the walking gesture with his fingers. Jake smiled and slowly backed out of the blind to the ladder. As George watched him go, he was impressed by how silently Jake moved. Even though he wasn't much of a hunter, at least the lessons on moving quietly seemed to stick. George took one last look over at Izzy before he backed out of the blind. She was no longer looking at him. She was intently looking through her scope at the area beside the creek where she knew the elk would pass. George slipped down the ladder and followed Jake's silent footsteps to the ATVs. It only took George and Jake about 25 minutes to get back to the ATVs, good time over the uneven terrain of the national forest that bordered the ranch to the east. Another 20 minutes or so and they'd be back on the fire roads towards the east gate, and then it would be another 15 minutes to the house. Jake would immediately run downstairs, take a long shower, and then immerse himself in some internet game. 
George would ride out to the west and make sure that the fence was going up according to the master schedule. They were only five minutes into their ride home when they both heard the distinctive crack of the AR-15 rifle shot. They both stopped and looked back into the forest, waiting. They waited for five minutes, and there was no other sound. George and Jake just looked at each other, neither knowing what to make of the situation. Izzy had never shot an elk before, and while she had remained in the blind alone many times before, she had never bagged anything. Let's go, George said. What if she got one? If she needs our help, she'll call us on the radio. So we're just going to leave her? Jake asked with some concern. You're the, one to, you're the one that wanted to leave. Let's go. But, he stammered. Before he could finish, George had already taken off. Jake looked back towards the forest and then chased after his dad. Izzy looked through her scope at the elk that had fallen beside the creek. She increased the magnification and looked at his chest to see if it was still breathing. She couldn't tell from this distance. She had set up her blind a full 400 yards from the site where she had seen the tracks six hours earlier. Although she'd been hunting with her dad many times before, starting on her ninth birthday, she had never before been in charge of the hunt from start to finish. Her brother Jake had been in charge of the last three hunts, and on the second one, he bagged a ten-point buck. She was jealous at first, but then happy for him. Both she and her father knew that Jake wasn't in love with hunting. He just didn't have the patience. His buck was more due to luck than skill, and, she remembered, he had only been about 200 yards out. Such an easy shot. She could have made it when she was seven a fact that she teased him about whenever she could. She thought that this one had to be a 14-point buck, though, and that would give her bragging rights for some time to come. She stared through her scope for another minute before she was convinced that it was a clean kill. She had aimed for the right side of his head, and while she couldn't see the hit, she was sure that she had hit her aim point. She had the wind dialed in, the elk was stationary, and at this range... It wouldn't hear the shot until after the impact. As she climbed down out of the blind to make the long trek to her kill, she thought about the next steps she would need to take to secure it, field butcher it, and get it home. She calculated that her dad and Jake were probably already on the ATVs on the way home, but she wanted to do this herself. It was her first kill, and she wanted everything to be perfect. It took her about 10 minutes to make her way down to the creek, and when she got there, she discovered that she was right about everything. Her shot was clean and perfect. It was, in fact, a 14-point buck, and it was beautiful. She gently stroked its neck and cheek, admiring the strength in its muscular chest and forelegs. She opened its mouth, checking for the signs of illness, and was pleased to see that it was healthy. She ran her index finger through the blood that dripped from its head wound and swiped her finger across her cheek. She said a silent prayer, thanking Mother Nature for providing such a strong and noble beast for her and her family, and then she made the trek back to her ATV. Her plan was to load the carcass onto the ATV and bring it back to her blind, where she would attach the compound pulley system to her rope so that she could string the buck up and bleed him. Then, she would gut him, leaving the entrails on the ground for the other animals before loading and tying the carcass to the back of her ATV for the ride home. 
If all went according to plan, she'd be home well before dark. She smiled when she thought about how proud her dad would be when he saw what she had done. She also thought about the new horse he promised her as a prize for her first kill. She would name her Xenia, after her famous comic book character, Xenia the Warrior Princess. When Izzy arrived back at the creek on her ATV, she realized that she'd failed to account for one important step in her plans. She didn't think about how she was going to load the buck onto her ATV from the ground. Being all of four foot ten inches tall and a strong but thin eighty pounds, there was no way she could wrestle the two hundred pound beast onto the back of the ATV by herself. She didn't want to drag the elk the four hundred yards back to the blind because it would bruise the meat. She puzzled over the problem for about five minutes before the solution came to her. She would use the winch on the front of the ATV, attach it to her rope, tie it to the hind legs, and raise it off the ground high enough to slide the ATV under it. She thought about butchering it right there, but decided against the idea because she didn't want to ruin the watering hole for the other animals that used it. It would be a lot more work to bring it back to her blind, but it was the right thing to do. Her new plan added almost two hours to her task, but in the end, it all worked out as planned. By the time she had the butchered elk tied to the back of her ATV and was on her way home, she was exhausted, covered in blood, and had rope burns on both her hands. But she was happy and very proud of herself. The sun was setting to the west as she neared the edge of the forest. She marveled at how the trees split the late afternoon rays of sunlight, creating a kaleidoscope of colors and designs on the forest floor. It was a beautiful sight that she got to enjoy longer than usual because she wanted to drive slowly to avoid bruising her prize. Jake, who was lounging on the patio in front of the house, jumped up and ran to her side as she pulled up to the house. His face was beaming with pride and excitement. Holy shit, sis, look at that! He shouted, Dad! Dad, she's back! George came out of the house and looked down the path at his children. Jake was hugging Izzy, and then he went to the back of the ATV to admire her kill. Izzy looked up at her dad as he came down the stairs. She could see that he was proud. He was smiling from ear to ear, even as the thoughts in his head swirled. How long? he asked. Izzy looked down at her watch and thought about it. About three and a half hours, she answered. Let's get it down to the shop. We can celebrate later. I'll call the chief, George said. Without hesitation, Jake jumped into the passenger seat and Izzy drove the hundred yards or so to the shop. Really, it was more of a bunker, one of many around the property. This one was a full-service butcher shop, complete with an industrial-sized smoker, food-safe vacuum sealer, refrigerator freezers, and all manners of tools and equipment. Izzy and Jake were silent on the ride down, both thinking about how nice it would be to have the chief helping them butcher and process the elk. The chief was Ernie Navarro, a 35-year-old rancher who George had hired shortly after he purchased the property. Ernie was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian who had left a casino-rich reservation in Southern California when the tribal elders became too corporate and had all but eschewed the traditions of their ancestors. The opportunity that George offered was the best of both worlds for Ernie. Technically, he was in charge of the hundred head of cattle and 25 horses that came with the ranch, 
but he had willingly accepted many other responsibilities that George had made available. While some Native Americans would have bristled at being called Chief, Ernie, who had suggested the nickname himself, enjoyed the title and the respect with which he was always treated. In fact, when he thought about it, he realized that he has always been treated like one of the family. Ernie loved the fact that George allowed, and even encouraged him to use tribal methods and traditions in the day-to-day management of the ranch. One of the responsibilities that he truly enjoyed was being the on-site butcher. This is also where some of his tribal methods best suited George's intention that the ranch be 100% self-sufficient and independent of anything outside the walls. At first, George hated Ernie's idea of making jerky out of almost half of the meat they processed. George's preconceived notion that all jerky was tough and super salty was simply not true. Ernie explained that while salt was a necessary part of the curing of the meat, the amount of saltiness in the finished product could be adjusted by several different methods used by the Indians. Ernie hated the politically correct term Native American. Remember, George, Ernie explained, my ancestors didn't have refrigerators or plastic bags. What they killed and cured had to last for months at a time. George couldn't argue with that logic and was pleasantly surprised to find that Ernie's methods made even the toughest, gamiest tasting meat, like elk, taste delicious and keep for months without refrigeration. Even better, since George had invested in a used industrial vacuum packing machine, their jerky would remain fresh, safe, and edible for as long as two years, maybe longer. Ernie saw the elk on the back of Izzy's ATV from 50 yards away, and he smiled. As he got closer, he saw the red streak on Izzy's cheek and knew that not only had she bagged one of the biggest prizes since he had been there, but she did so with the respect and field butchering methods he had taught her and Jake. He couldn't have been more proud of her in that moment if she had been his own daughter, or son for that matter. Ernie knew there would be a lot of work to butcher this magnificent beast, but he was happy to do it. He could tell by Jake's expression that he would have all the help he wanted. While Jake wasn't the most patient hunter, he was turning into a pretty good butcher's apprentice. Why don't you get cleaned up, Izzy, Ernie said. Jake and I will take care of this. Thanks, Ernie, Izzy said, giving him a big hug. I honored him, just like you said. And you did a great job in the field. I'm really proud of you. Me too, sis, Jake added. Thanks, guys. Can't wait for dinner. Why don't you take my horse back up to the house? We'll ride the ATV back when we're finished, Ernie suggested. Cool, Izzy replied, immediately running to Ranger, Ernie's prized stallion. Come on, Ranger! Before she even got to him, Ranger, who always came when he heard his name, was trotting towards her. She pulled himself up onto his back, looked back at Jake and Ernie, and waved. Then she was trotting back to the house. Later that night, as George, Ernie, Jake, and Izzy feasted on elk tenderloins that Ernie had prepared with a blueberry gravy and warm corn salad, George looked over at his children with immense pride and relief. The pride was a familiar feeling because he put them through a lot at a young age in order to prepare them for what he knew was coming. And, except for minor complaints here and there and the beginnings of rebellion from Jake, they handled it all with an elegant competence. 
The relief was based on the fact that working together, he knew that they already had the skills that would be necessary to survive. He figured he had another five years of training to make sure that they could thrive in the new civilization that would eventually emerge from the devastation and chaos that the supermassive solar flare would cause. That knowledge would free him to devote even more time and energy to making the ranch a fortress, a refuge, and the center of a new way of life. As he chewed another piece of elk, he realized that his prior planning might have to be revised. He had always assumed that the older, stronger male child would be the one to run things if something happened to him. Now he wasn't so sure. Izzy had a quiet confidence that belied her true skills and abilities. People wouldn't follow her because somebody told them to. They would follow her because they wanted to. As if almost reading his mind, Izzy suddenly leapt from her chair, ran around the table, and gave Ernie a strong, lingering hug. Thank you so much, Ernie. This is so good, she said. From beneath the hug, Ernie stole a glance at George. Ernie's face was filled with a unique mixture of pride, appreciation, and genuine affection that he had never seen before. Yes, George thought as he returned Ernie's smile. She would make a fine leader indeed. <laughs>